This episode is brought to you by Set for Life Insurance. Listen, docs, one of the first steps we took to pay off our student loan debt was realizing we paid way too much for our disability insurance. That all changed when we found Set for Life Insurance. They helped us with a customized insurance policy that met our needs and most of all, budget. To learn more, check out setforlifeinsurance.com. This episode is brought to you by Physician CEO. Finally, a business program for busy doctors just like you. Get the skills of branding, marketing, entrepreneurship, and combine those with your gifts as a physician. Be known as a doc outside the box and define your future. Learn more at physician-ceo.com forward slash D-O-T-B. Welcome to Docs Outside the Box Podcast. This is your official show, looking inside the minds of cutting edge and innovative doctors. Think you'll find these stories in any medical textbook? Sorry. You're getting real live insight from men and women pushing the envelope beyond medicine. Ordinary doctors doing extraordinary things. Let's start now with your host, Dr. Nee Darko. Yo, yo, yo. What's good, everyone? Thank you for tuning in. This is Dr. Nee, and welcome back to another episode of Docs Outside the Box. And I don't know if you noticed, but last week there was no episode. So I took a week off from putting out an episode. I just took a week off from just working with the episodes in general. And for a pretty good reason, we finally made the move to Jersey from Pennsylvania. And if you don't know, and now you know, it's been close to about three years in the making, three years of making plans, three years of deferring for various reasons. But if you check out the other episodes between me and my wife, particularly the Ask Dr. Nee segments, and also check out the episode where I put down My Wife Hates My Locum Schedule. If you listen to all of those episodes, you'll really get a good glimpse as to why we decided to move back to home. You'll also hear about some of the preparations that have taken place that we did to make sure that this was a really smooth process. But, you know, with all that said, we're here now. We're here in Jersey. It's going great. We're a lot closer to family, which is huge. They can help out with the kids. Everybody can see each other. It's really, really great. And then also, you know, like I said, the town in Pennsylvania that we were at was amazing. Everybody was sweet to us, but it's really good. It's pretty cool to be in a town with a lot more amenities. So that's something that I'm really excited about. But that rent, though, oh my God, that rent is, yeah, that rent is too damn high. But, you know, as they say, you're, paying for a neighborhood, not necessarily the home. But in a future episode, Dr. Renee and I, we're going to get on and we're going to talk about, you know, some significant changes that have occurred in our family and what it means not only for our family budget, right, with that rent, as well as how do we interact? How are we reconnecting with, you know, some old friends, some friends that we haven't connected with, haven't seen really in about three to four years and maybe even longer? And, you know, all of the things that kind of encompass changing our family and how we're able to still maintain our priorities. So this is a good one. I think you guys should definitely stay tuned for that. I'll let y'all know when that is coming in. But, you know, besides these updates, I know you all are tuned in because you want to hear about the next doc outside the box. But before I get to that point real quick, I just want to say that, you know, we moved here and just like that, we are in that time of the year. 
I seriously cannot believe that it's that time of the year. The year went really fast, like mad fast. And I'm not sure how it went so fast, but we are in the holiday season again, yo. We are really in the holiday season again. You know what that means. It means celebration time. We're talking about big family events. We're talking about big dinners. And to be honest with you, you know, I have or my family has those traditions. I'm sure for you all who are listening, your family has those traditions. The food is great, but some of it isn't really healthy, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You know, like, like let's be honest, like, is a turducken really that healthy? And that's just like the meat part, right? We're not talking about all the other things that go along with, you know, eating these huge family dinners. And I say that because however comforting or however delicious the food might be, you know, some of the foods that we eat or the styles, you know, that we use to cook these foods, these have been passed down from generations. We're talking about, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, maybe even longer. And a lot has not changed in how we cook those meals or how we consume those meals. But if you think about it, the way in which we think about food right now, the way we think about nutrition has changed dramatically, right? So my next guest, my next doc outside the box has a lot to say about this. Her name is Dr. Lauren Powell, also known as the culinary doctor. And she is a board certified family medicine doctor. And her goal is to meet individuals at whatever stage they're at on the health journey and generational patterns of food-related diseases. Now, trust her when she says she is meeting people at whatever stage they are at. I'm talking about she's making live events with cooking demos. She's doing this on TV. She's doing this on podcasts. She's doing this on social media. Please, Dr. Lauren Powell, I need you to do my social media. Damn. Yo, her social media is on point. We all can take lessons from this. She also has an online cooking school, and she also has an Amazon best-selling book called Food Essentials for the Busy Professional. It's a great pickup. I've read it myself, and actually, I've started implementing some of her recommendations. So besides family medicine, she also did a fellowship in culinary medicine. Now, I know some of you all know about this, but a lot of you all don't. So culinary medicine is an evidence-based field in medicine that blends the art of food, cooking, with the science of medicine. It's aimed at helping people reach good personal medical decisions about accessing and eating high-quality meals that help prevent and treat disease and restore well-being. And I'm down with that. So things that you're going to learn on this episode, you're going to learn how a close family member's health scare shifted her focus to culinary medicine. You're also going to learn how busy professionals like you and I can eat healthier. You're also going to hear some tips to improve your social media. Yeah, I know you guys want to hear that. And then also, like all of my guests, you're going to hear about how she answers hashtag I'm not just a doc. This is a good one. I want you all to share this with someone else, someone who you know can benefit not just from eating healthier, but also maybe improving their social media as a physician. So without further ado, I present Dr. Lauren Powell, also known as the culinary doc. Let's get it. Dr. Lauren Powell, the culinary doctor. Welcome to Docs Outside the Box. What's up? What's good? Hey, hey. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to get you on here. I mean, we've been going back and forth. We're trying to solidify a date for so long now. So. <laughs> of a busy doctor, huh? We can't get it together. I know. I know. It's the schedules. But I'm excited to finally get you on here because I think, obviously, culinary medicine, using food as medicine is a big deal right now we're busy, you're busy, I'm busy, the listeners are busy. So being able to have someone like you come on the show and come and talk about how 
you know, basically we can demystify eating, eat healthier and do it since we're all busy professionals is definitely what we're all about. So first of all, I just want to say congratulations on being an Amazon bestseller for your book called Food Essentials for the Busy Professional. Thank you so much. Before we get into the nitty gritty talking about your book and some of the major things with eating and using medicine or using food as medicine, let's learn a little bit more about you. Tell us more about your background, where you're from, where you grew up, all of that. All right. Well, I'm from the suburbs of Detroit. So that's where I <laughs> I, I love up. that you clarify that. Why do you clarify I, that? <laughs> I clarify it for the Detroiters, really, because there is a distinct difference between growing up in a city and growing up in the suburbs. And I was definitely raised in the suburbs. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. That's a good qualifier. We get it. Grew up in the suburbs of Detroit. Went to the University of Detroit Mercy for undergrad, got a bachelor's in chemistry. I did a minor in business, then went on to Wayne State University. Wait, wait, hold on, let's, let's stop. Let's stop. Why did you minor in business? Did you kind of know that you may be heading down an entrepreneurship type of path? Well, two reasons. One, my parents owned dry cleaners growing up. Mm. And so it's kind of like all I knew was you own what you do. And mm-hmm. so I thought to myself, two things. Number one, whatever I do, I want to own it. I love it. I love that. Number two, maybe I'd also continue the family business on the side. And so having some business experience better help me run the cleaners. Mm, Okay. All right. Okay. Before we keep going, though, I like the story about growing up in a dry cleaning household. Like this was a complete family affair, right? Yeah. Everybody worked there. Like my grandma worked there. My cousins worked there. My aunts and uncles, like family, friends, neighbors. I mean, my mom worked there. My brother, we started working when we were like nine and 10 years old, like literally working every weekend. We used to get paid $4 an hour. <laughs> that's I mean, that was money knew. back then. Yeah, we were happy. You know, we were happy to get it, but that's all we knew. And so I'm really thankful for the experience now because all I knew was, you know, balancing work and having a good work ethic and, you know, seeing my parents work really hard for something that was theirs, you know, so there was no like, oh, we're on vacation. It's like, no, this is our business. Like, this is ours. And so we take care of it at all times. There is no break from this. This is what we do. If there's a problem, we're the ones that fix it. And so definitely an experience that I'm thankful for that I wouldn't have learned things that my minor in business didn't teach me, you know? Yeah, I think that we all kind of aspire to have our children kind of continue our legacy. And not many of us are able to kind of continue that by having our own business and then employing our own children. So I think that's really nice that that was able to happen to you. And obviously that kind of spirit has remained in you because that's what my thoughts are for my son is eventually that he'll get that entrepreneurship bug for me and then kind of continue that. So, yeah. And I think you don't really know it until you look back. Like, you know, I'm used to, that's all I know. It's like my dad owning his own stuff, you know, my family owning our own stuff, having a control of your schedule, you being able to set the tone, you being able to have control of, you know, who works for you and who doesn't work for you. You know, and so when I look back and I look about things in my current situation of what I'm not happy with, and it's like, yeah, it's because I'm used to seeing someone who has complete control of that, right? And so when you're employed, you don't really have that same sense of control. Once you graduated from medical school, you decided to become a family medicine physician, notoriously known for being private practice in nature. Obviously, things are changing now, but was that ever kind of the thoughts of entrepreneurship business? Was that part of that decision to go into family medicine? Yeah. I mean, I thought about it. I've gone back and forth about whether I want to own my own practice. And honestly, you know, the older I got, the more I really realized how hard it is to own your own business. Right. So it's great. And then you get to have so much say 
But at the same time, I thought about all the things that my parents missed out on because they own their own business. Mm, or I thought about, about the that. trip couldn't take because we weren't well-staffed. And I think about my dad now who works harder than he ever has because it's hard to find good help these days. And so part of me is like, man, do I really want to deal with all that? Because that's a different type of beast, you know? That's a whole nother beast in the medical aspect. So I think that's the part that I go back and forth with is like, do I really want to own that piece of it? So you currently practice right now. Are you employed or what kind of model are you in right now? Yeah, so I'm an employed physician. I work for a hospital system. I do some contract work every now and again in Florida. And then I do some PR and work out here in Georgia as well. So, Mm. but my main gig is employed. Okay. All right. Well, what set you down this path of, you know, healthy living, cooking, culinary medicine? I'd like to hear about that. I think it's really interesting. Right. So I was getting off a, you know, 36 hour shift while I was a third year resident. I remember those days. Mm. Right. It gives me palpitations a little bit, but it was like part of my routine that whenever I got off, I would call my dad and I would talk to him while I was driving home and that would kind of, kind of keep me awake. And I'm telling him about, you know, all the cases I'd had overnight. And so one day I was talking to him and he was just kind of acting strange. He wasn't engaging with me as much. So I finally was just like, what's going on with you? Like, you're not even talking to me very much. And when he started to speak, it was just kind of like gibberish coming out of his mouth. And I kept saying, you know what? Like, I don't understand. And so he finally was able to get out that he was having trouble speaking. Ever since he woke up that morning, he knew the words he wanted to say in his mind. But when he, you know, tried to say him, something else came out. And so as a resident, you know, automatically I was like, oh my God, you're having broken facial, you know, you're having a stroke, you know, so I, you know, I went through all that stuff and my dad was admitted had severely uncontrolled cholesterol. The cholesterol was so high. It just, it couldn't even be read. It just said high. What? Yeah. Which I didn't even know the thing. Diabetes, blood pressure couldn't be controlled. He was on five different meds and was diagnosed with a stroke. And so that was a big changing point for me because my dad was not a neglectful patient. Like, you know, he was that guy that was going to the doctors every three months. He was that guy taking his pills every morning, but then something bad still happened to him. And the same was true for me, you know, I'm family medicine, which means that we do some of everything. We take care of patients in our clinic and then we admit them to the hospital. And so I was like, same thing happens to me. I see patients in my clinic and then I admit them to the hospital when they have a stroke, you know? So it's like, what does it mean if I see you every day in my clinic, you do the things I tell you to do, but then bad stuff still happens to you and you end up in the hospital. There's got to be some kind of breakdown. And so that's when I was like, what else is there? What does it mean if our patients do all the things we want them to do, but bad stuff still happens to them or has to be either something we're not telling them or something wrong with what they're telling them to do. That's when I really try to look at what is the root cause of some of these diseases. Like where's all of this coming from? Because I don't think we're getting to the root of it when we give people pills and we're not, you know, when I give you medicine for your high blood pressure, I'm treating your high blood pressure. Like I'm not fixing the reason why you have high blood pressure. Same thing with cholesterol. So I was like, I need to get to the root of the disease, which truly is the foods that we're putting in our body and it's lifestyle stuff and it's our lack of physical activity. Yeah, so that's habits, when I was like, I need habits to, and behavior are really hard to break. They're very hard to break. And they're hard to break when you don't even know that what you're doing is bad, mm-hmm. you know, because I think a lot of people, and I know for instance, my dad, he didn't know that all that stuff was bad. He's like, but I do what I'm told, right? So he didn't see a big problem with it. And the reality is we're not always doing a good job of educating our patients. And so that's why I wanted to do some further education to kind of really get the foundation that I need to properly counsel my patients because our nutrition curriculum in medical school is just very lacking. If, Did we even have, I don't remember we, my, I even being taught that really. Yeah, we had six weeks. That was it. Mm-hmm. Six weeks and that was it. 
And so it's never really reinforced. And so how can I have a conversation with a patient about their diet and about what they're putting in their body? And like, really, I don't really know other than like, yeah, I think we have a general idea that fast food is bad, but we can't really make it real for patients. And so that's what I wanted to do. That's mm. kind of where my journey started. Mm, okay. And then from there, you know, you really kind of started to jump on this whole idea of culinary medicine, which is the big hottest thing right now, using food to really treat a lot of our medical issues right now. And I think you did some training down at Tulane University. I think that's the same place that our previous guest, Dr. Rupi Aljula, the doctor's kitchen, he did his training there also, I believe. Yeah, I mean, it's new. It's a hot thing for us, I think, in America, but it's like other cultures have been using food as medicine for years, right? You know, the Chinese culture have been using herbs and spice. I mean, people have been using food as medicine for years, but I think we're just starting to like catch up on the fact that the burden of disease that we have is so great. And so give us an example, like what is that training like? Like how many years is it? Is it another residency? Do you get certification? Give us some of those. No, it's just, you know, it's a program where you basically take a whole bunch of lectures. There's like a certain amount of required content you have to go through. There's a bunch of online modules. You're required to do a certain amount of hours at Tulane in their teaching kitchens. And that's basically, it's not like a fellowship or anything like that. It's basically just you getting the extra knowledge that you need. You know, my business to kind of go to different conferences and, you know, the next conference I'm going to is in functional medicine in September, but I really try to target my CMEs and extra learning in food and nutrition and things like that. Mm, mm, I love it. I love it. So what gave you the impetus to say, look, I'm just going to go ahead and write this book and why busy professionals? What's the story behind that? Right. So I've always wanted to write a cookbook, but I felt like before you can have recipes, you have to have strategies, mm. right? Because it's like, if I teach you strategies and I you like can that. apply- Say that again. Say that again. I like that. Before you can have recipes, you have to have strategies, mm-hmm. right? It's like giving someone fish versus teaching them how to fish, right? If I right. teach you, then you can apply that to any recipe. You can Google and find a recipe for some kind of dish and you know what to sub out. You know what's good for you, what's bad for you you know how to make good decisions when you go to a restaurant or when you go to a dinner party. So I just really wanted to give people strategies and there's strategies that I basically started to live by as I was in my residency. And as I was on this whole journey, because as I learned, I changed a lot of my own habits. And so the book is basically what I did, you know, what I did and what I've done for my dad and what I've done for my husband to help them live healthier lives. And so it's basically all principles related to food to improve your health. So like any question you could have about food in terms of portion sizes, in terms of eating healthy on a budget, in terms of eating healthy when you're on vacation, eating healthy when fast food is the only thing open, like those are the things that are answered by this book. Yeah, I like that because that's my life, basically. My life as a locums doc, you know, traveling to different places. As a matter of fact, we're doing this interview right now while I'm on a locums assignment. I'm in an Airbnb. So I changed my mindset a little bit. I used to always just get a hotel and not very often, like you said in your book, my hotel doesn't really have or did not have refrigerator or microwave. So I'm eating out the foods are high in salt content, not the healthiest of foods. And I got to literally about three months ago, I got to the heaviest I've ever been. And now that I'm staying in Airbnbs, I cook every day. I make sure before I start my assignments, I go to Walmart and buy a whole bunch of different types of foods. And even though I'm still busy, I try to cook. So when I saw your book though, I mean, I'm not the greatest cook. You know, I was really looking forward to some of the recipes that you have to offer. But before we get into those things, I want to quickly talk about like the principles that you live by, because I thought that was really a powerful chapter. Chapter three, you have five principles that you live by. Can you talk a little bit about some of those things without divulging too much stuff? 
Right, right. So first principle is basically to eat more plants. I think sometimes we make it confusing. People are like, should I be a vegan? Should I not be a vegan? Like, is meat bad or is it good? And I think sometimes that can be overwhelming for people. And so what I say is like, listen, just add more plants to the foods that you're already eating. Like, don't make it this big complex thing. If you like spaghetti, put some vegetables in your spaghetti. Just eat more plants. I think the data is hands down a more plant-based diet is healthier decreases your burden of disease. And so one way to go in that direction is just adding more vegetables to the food that you already eat. Wait, so isn't there a difference between like being a vegan and then being like a, what's the other one? Like a vegetarian? There are differences, right? Right, right. So vegan is like no animal products. Whereas vegetarian, you can still have eggs and like cheese and dairy. Oh, so vegetarian, you can have eggs. You can have the products made by animals, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Vegan is like, yeah, just like... Okay, so you're giving advice on just not jumping so much into any one principle, but just adding more roughage, adding more plant-based food to a diet. Right, right. I had a patient the other day that I was talking to and I wanted to send her to a nutritionist and she was a little bit resistant. And she said it was because she had met with a nutritionist previously and the nutrition was just basically like, you need to become a vegan, you need to transition to a plant-based diet. And for her, that was very overwhelming. She was someone who was eating a traditional American diet. So that's a big jump. Like, She gave her nothing in between, no like, you know, baby steps of how we're going to get there. And so it just really turned her off because she didn't even know where to start with that. Mm. You know, and I always tell patients, even when patients come to me and they're motivated and they're like, hey, doc, I want to become a vegan. I say, okay, listen, we have to have some meals in place. We have to have some plant-based meals in place because what happens is some people end up loading up on carbs and we end up eating a lot of the starches and we end up eating, you know, more rice and the breads and things like that because we're avoiding meat. So if we're going to take meat out of our diet, what are we going to be replacing it with? So I think it's important that we kind of make a slower transition so that people can find good substitutes for the things that they're already eating so that we're not lacking in certain food groups. And so my second principle is cooking. So that's something that you already talked about. We definitely need to cook our food, even with regards to salt. You know, when we talk about salt in our diet, most of the salt in our diet is not coming from the food that we're cooking in our kitchen. The salt that we're, you know, over consuming is coming from the food we're eating out. That's the stuff that's loaded with sodium and is causing the problem. You know, the stuff that comes in the bag and the box and that stuff is just loaded with salt. And so by cooking, you kind of can control the things that are in your food and what's going in your body. Third principle is ingredients. And that's just that I want people to get into the habit of looking at their nutrition labels. I want them to look at the ingredients. I want them to, you know, make sure those ingredients are words that they can identify. It shouldn't be like a word that they have to Google. They don't even know what it is. You should be able to know the words. And I like people to know that ingredients are listed from largest proportion to smallest. On the label? Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, wow. Doc, for real? I'm serious. I didn't know that. I just thought that that on that ingredient list is just, you know, all the stuff that was there. I didn't know that it went from this is the- No, it's in order. So for instance, my husband didn't like the peanut butter I got. I bought like an all natural peanut butter. So he went and bought Jif. And if you look (laughs) at Jif, the first ingredient is sugar. The first ingredient peanut should be what? Peanuts. It should be peanuts. The first ingredient in peanut butter should be peanuts. It shouldn't be sugar. And so you have to look at the order. You have to look at the order. And so I want people to get in the habit of doing that with every single thing. Lauren dropping knowledge, yo. I did not know that. You just changed my world, actually. (laughs) Oh, glad. Wow. I talk about beverages. So that's like a big topic. But basically, people are definitely not drinking enough water. I want people to, yes, love it. You need to be drinking half your weight in ounces in water. I talk about mindful eating, which is huge. I have a whole chapter dedicated to that. And that's just being mindful about what we're eating. That's about being one with our food. It's about not being distracted when we eat, right? It's so easy to like be on your phone or you're watching TV or you're on your computer while you're eating. And then what happens is 
you don't notice when you're full until like your plate is empty. Maybe you were full like six or seven bites ago, but because you were just eating and doing something, you don't notice until you look down and the plate is gone. And you're like, okay, now I guess I'm done eating. So you end up overeating. So I have a whole chapter on mindful eating because I just think it's so important. And there's, especially for families, I think it's a super important thing. And then my last principle is just being mindful of the environment. You know, we're in this world of just overconsumption and you have to be mindful of the environment that we're leaving for the future generations. And so I talk about tips to just be more mindful and respectful of our environment. I love it. I'm down for it. But speaking of overconsumption, we need to talk because I love buffets, yo. You went in kind of hard on, in that chapter on buffets. I was like, dang, is she talking to me? <laughs> not everyone can handle a buffet. And I'm just being real. It's not for everybody. If you don't have self-control, then you shouldn't do it. So I used to avoid buffets because I didn't have self-control. Mm, so you're just like me then. You like multiple. Yeah, points. you would just go through and you would graze. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, I want some. Ooh, that looks nice. And pretty sure you've got this huge plate, right? So if you don't have the self-control yet, then you just can't handle a buffet, right? Because mm. you get this value. You feel like I got to eat all my money's worth plus some. And so you end up mindlessly eating. You end up just over consumption. And so I feel like I actually did a whole YouTube video on how to eat at a buffet. Oh, really? Okay. I'll put it in the show notes, actually. And I show people, this is how you eat. And I went through and I examined every single thing at the buffet first. I didn't even have a plate in my hand. I just went and looked at every single thing. And I made up in my mind what was going to be on my plate before I fixed my plate. And then I just stuck with that. And the other thing, too, that solidifies the point is, you know, you talk about how, you know, when you're at a buffet, all this food is available to you. But that's not how you normally eat at home, Right. You don't have pan. What'd you say? I forgot. You don't get yeah, pancakes. Like, when you're at home, you're not going to make pancakes or waffles or French toast. Like you're not going to make all of those. Usually like my mom would like, I want pancakes, you want French toast, or you want waffles. But at the buffet, you have all of them. And, and so you cream. end up getting some of all of them, which is like not real life. Like that's not what we do in real life. We get one. That's true. That is true. And now a word from our sponsor. Meet Dr. Arthur Cummings. He's a busy ophthalmologist practicing all the way in Dublin, Ireland. Recently, he finished physician CEO. Check out what got him to jump on the transatlantic flight to participate in this program. My initial response would simply be just do it. This is one of those programs that is so good. It's very likely to be the best education you've ever received. And you realize then as a physician, how little we really know about our businesses, even though we're running businesses that are quite large. And the level of training is so fantastic. The education is so good. The faculty is immaculate and you're in a group of people who are like-minded. So just the entire environment is an amazing learning experience and really a good incubator for growing your practice. So if you're a physician who's looking to start your own venture or even lead your practice or department, then you can't afford to miss this opportunity. Class is filling up. Learn more at physician-ceo.com forward slash D-O-T-B. I'm really interested on your thoughts on meal prep, right? Everybody is big into meal prep right now, whether making it on their own or even like the meal prep companies right now. And I'm not going to lie, I'm thinking about it, but I want to get your thoughts on you know, the current state of meal prep, particularly the companies that are out there selling like the Blue Aprons, the HelloFreshes and so forth. They're not sponsors of the show, so you can be as unbiased as possible. So I just want to know, what are your thoughts on it? Do you think that's a healthy option for busy professionals? Like 100% for sure. Really? Like, okay. I've actually used the companies before just to try them out. 
And I think it's a great way to have fresh food. I think it's a great way to cook your food, you know, to be cooking your food. All the guesswork is taken out. Your meals are planned. Your grocery shopping is planned. And they're very affordable. They're very, very affordable. It's not something where it's like, you know, I've even talked to people and I'm like, you spend less on that than I spend on my groceries. So I think it's a great alternative. It's really, really great. I actually strongly suggest that to patients when they tell me that they're too busy, they don't have time, they're traveling. And I mention those companies often. I also mention the companies that do prep your food for you because again, oftentimes you're saving money by going with one of those companies and if you were to buy your food out every day. So to me, you're eating home-cooked meals that are healthy because you know usually a lot of these meal prep companies are healthy. Take a specific diet. So if you want to do a couple of vegetarian meals, if you want to do a couple you know, if you're dairy free, if you're, you know, try to avoid gluten, you can be diet specific and they're affordable. So, you know, why not? So many people actually have reached out to me on many platforms asking me if I would meal prep for them. Mm. And I thought about it. I'm so many doc outside the box. All right. Yeah. And I've done it for like a couple of my colleagues and they're just like, can I just pay you to do this for me every week? And I actually had a doc reach out to me. He was a doc and then his wife was a pediatric oncologist. And they're like, we really want to transition to a healthy diet, but we're just so busy. And I felt bad for them. I'm like, yeah, y'all are so busy and you're out there like saving lives. Like I really felt like I really want to help you. But the reality is I just don't have it in my time right now to do it. I just can't devote the time. I would love to. And it's, you know, one of the things Dr. Dre is always telling me that I need to do. So it's definitely something that I'm thinking about and hope to be able to do in the future. Mm. And speaking of bit being very busy, Dr. Lauren, like you have been really busy on the media circuit from social media to being on TV shows. So tell us about that life. What's it like, you know, going on talk shows or going on different forms of media and talking about that? Do you feel like you're kind of in your purpose now? Talk to us about that. Yeah. I mean, for sure. Like when I leave, I definitely feel like, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, I definitely want to do media. Media is like the thing that I really, really want to do. I love it because I love to reach people. The thing about media, social media, television, podcasts is you can reach so many people, right? It's one thing for me to see patients all day and I can help them and I can help move them towards change. But to be able to talk about these same principles on this type of platform, I mean, the impact is huge. Oh yeah, absolutely. You can reach so many more millions of people as opposed to patient by patient by patient, which Obviously, there's still a role for that, but the magnitude of what you can do just by just recording this podcast or like you with your really good social media presence, which by the way, I want to talk to you about that. Your social media presence is phenomenal. Amazing. Congratulations on that. Talk to us a little bit about just some tips that you can give to the listeners are on right now on how they can help improve their social media presence because you do a really good job about it. Oh, I appreciate it. I mean, I think about social media as like, what is the message that I want to share with people? So sometimes I'll just look at my social media as like someone, like I look at my social media as a stranger. Like if I didn't know this person and I'm looking at it, what is her social media telling me? Like what message is she giving me? What vibes is she giving me? And so I'm always reevaluating, like is the stuff I'm putting out the true message that I'm trying to share? And so I try to be authentic. I try to give because I think social media is really about giving. It's about serving people. It's about providing useful information. Social media has been amazing in terms of forming relationships. I mean, I think most of the things I've gotten in terms of media have been because of social media to begin with. So it's a powerful tool. I think we think too much sometimes when it comes to it. We think things have to be perfect. We oh, think yeah. It to be a certain way. Absolutely. But it really doesn't. It just has to be genuine and it has to be you and it has to be authentic to your message. But that's it. That's all it has to be. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, I'm not going to lie. It takes me a long time to figure out what my post is going to be. It's got to have a certain amount of likes. And I've learned to kind of move, stop worrying about it. And if I continue to just put out as much content as possible, like you said, helping people, then I don't get too caught up on, well, this is not going to get as many likes. Who cares about that? Let's just get as much information that's helping people as possible. So I really like your thought process on it. I just want to go backwards one quick thing, because I know I missed this. And this is really important. You just came out with an online course, actually, on diabetes and food. You want to talk about that real quick? Right. So I was finding in my clinic that I'm diagnosing people at the time with diabetes, or I'm managing people who've had diabetes for years, and no one has talked to them about food. I get it. Like, it's hard, right? We have like 15, 20 minutes with a patient. We've got all this stuff to talk about. So sometimes it's hard to have those conversations. And so I wanted to create something that number one, explains diabetes, like explains it in very, very simple terms, because I feel like if we have a diagnosis, we should be able to explain it. You know, when I say, what is diabetes to a diabetic patient? I don't want them to tell me it's a sugar problem. No. Right. Explain it. It doesn't have to be on a cellular level. It doesn't have to be this detailed, but tell me fundamentally what the problem is. And so this course does that. And I actually had a webinar last night where I did some of the teaching and people were just like blown away. And they're like, I get it. You know, I get it. I understand. And I think when people understand what the disease is, then everything else falls in line. They understand why, okay, if my diabetes is uncontrolled, why that damages my kidney or how that can damage my heart or how that can damage my vision. They understand that. And when they understand that, they know okay, this is why this increases my blood sugar. Oh, so I need to eat more of this. And, you know, it just kind of brings everything together. And so my course kind of does just that. I explain diabetes very simply. I have some videos. I have some downloadable materials that I have people putting on the refrigerator. Eat this, don't eat this. I have some teaching that I do about how to control diabetes beyond the food. I talk about your sleep. I talk about stress. I talk about meditation. And then of course there's video recipes. So that course comes with, I think there's at least 10 video recipes where I basically cooking for you. I'm showing you the recipes and it's like fail-proof. Like you just watch me and I have all the ingredients laid out. I have downloadable grocery lists. So you can, you know, download the grocery list, send it to your spouse. They can bring home the groceries and you guys can cook together. And it's simple, easy, it's fail-proof. And so my hope is that people learn about some new foods. They learn how to improve dishes that they already like. And these dishes just become a part of the way that they eat. You know, it's a part of the way that they prepare food for their family. And it's, you know, part of Easter dinner. And it's just not this foreign thing that they do sometimes, but it's just really like a part of how they eat. It becomes a part of their culture. Mm, I love it. The way in which this is going, it just seems as though like eventually you're going to have an app. Do you have an app already where like- you No, know, I don't can, have an app. It seems like you're heading in that direction. Is that part of like the plan in the future? I think about that because there's a lot of apps that I like that I use, but I don't know. We'll just have to see. The problem with me is that I have so many different things that I want to do <laughs> you sound like that me. I have to kind of, you know how it is. You have yeah. like all the things you want to do, but you have to determine, okay, what is the most important thing for me to do next? Because that next thing is going to get me to the next thing. And so you have to try to be tunnel vision, even though it's like, you get all these things like, oh, can you do this? Oh, can you meal prep for me? Or can you, you know, and it's like, wait, what's the end goal? So I need to kind of stay focused on what's going to get me to the end goal. Let me try to make you go off track some more when you start your own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think about that too, yeah, right? You because start your own podcast. It's great. You should have started again. your own podcast already. My bad. It's great to just get information out there, right? And I love talking. Yeah. I don't know. It's coming. I think it's coming. If you ever want some help, I'm here to help you out. But I think you're a natural, obviously on social media, you're natural on video, but I think even more so 
you'd kill it within the podcasting realm. So I appreciate it. Well, look, we're getting towards the end of the interview. I want to ask you some quick fast fire questions. I ask you a question. You just tell me what comes off the top of the dome piece. You ready? You okay. Game. All right. Well, look, we covered a lot of different things. Obviously, there's so many different things we can go through with on culinary medicine. But if we can parse this down to one thing, what's the one thing you want listeners to take away from this episode? I want listeners to understand that food and cooking is not just about them, but it's about people that are going to come after them. We have to cook our food because if we don't cook our food, our kids aren't going to learn how to cook. And then we're going to set them up for a life of fast food and processed food. And so if you're busy, if you hate cooking, I'm sorry, but we have to because this is how our kids are going to learn. We just have to make it a priority to really make some cultural and generational changes within our families. I want to get your opinion. Why is healthy food so much more expensive than the non-healthy food? You know, like even the difference between organic and non-organic food, or I'm sure eating vegan versus just eating regular. I've just seen that it's so much more expensive. Any thoughts as to why it's so expensive? So it depends, right? The most expensive thing you're going to buy is going to be meat. Beans are cheap. Grains are cheap. Vegetables, if you go to like a market, you know, the outdoor markets, those things are very inexpensive. The most expensive things that I buy when I grocery shop is the meat that I buy for my husband. Oh, so you're vegan. So I'm more of a pescatarian. Hey, okay, explain that too, because I don't know. So I'll, I eat, I'll eat salmon, I'll eat, you know, sea bass, I'll eat shrimp, I'll eat some seafood, but I don't eat like chicken or beef or anything like that. What's the philosophy behind that? Honestly, fish is the only thing that I can consume. So this is the thing. Knowledge becomes this thing that just, it changes the way you value things. So I used to sometimes try to avoid fried chicken, but then when I saw it, I just couldn't say no to it. <laughs> but now because of the knowledge that I have, it makes me sick to look at it. And that's really? just me being completely honest. Like, wow. I can't look at chicken the same way. It doesn't entice me. Wait, from- fried chicken or just chicken? All of it. Really? All of it. I literally went to a family reunion in Chicago with my dad. Everything had meat in it. And I was able to sit there and eat nothing. And they were like, are you good? I was like, I felt perfectly content because I could look at that food and it was more to me than just the food, right? I saw so much more behind it. Like, you know, this is not good quality. This is so highly processed. You know, the greens, while they're a great vegetable, they've been sitting in some kind of pork organ for the last six hours and all the nutrition has been sucked out of it. You know what I mean? And so yeah, once you put I it in like those I, terms, I, I, it doesn't I sound as tasty. Glasses now. I just can't even look at stuff the same way. That's deep, actually. <laughs> so I tell people, I was talking to a young lady yesterday and she's like, yeah, I really have a hard time, you know, like not eating burgers. And I was like, I can tell you a story and it will make you never want to eat one again. But are you ready to hear it? Because if you're not ready, then I don't want to tell you because I'll ruin it for you. And she was like, and so I went ahead and told her, you know, the story. And she's like, yeah, I think I'm good. Yeah, she's good. How about turkey burgers? Obviously, turkey is better than beef. You know, it's a leaner, <laughs> leaner meat. It's a you, can leaner learn a, you can learn a little bit about what I like to eat just by my questions. <laughs> but like, honestly, the food in my cooking courses I include meat because I know the reality is that people are eating meat, but I don't include any beef or pork. In the diabetes course, there's one meal that has nachos and it's made with ground turkey. And then there's one meal that has chicken and that's like roast. And then all the other dishes are either vegetarian or have some kind of seafood. Mm, Okay. I definitely can relate to that because me coming from, my parents come from a different country, Ghana. We didn't eat pork growing up. Just didn't eat it. You know, even 
to this day, like if I eat it or if I taste it, it just, it doesn't taste well to me. I don't like the way it tastes or anything like that. So chicken and fish have always been the mainstays in my house. Every now and then I'll have red meat, but even red meat, just, I have this heavy feeling afterwards. Yeah. It's not one of my favorites. So, but look, let's pivot a little bit. Let's not ruin everybody's appetite. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you a question. If you got a chance to go back in time, if you got a chance to take the advice that you know now and meet yourself when you were younger, maybe even as a pre-med or even as a medical student, what kind of advice would you have given yourself? I would tell myself to just like chill out, mm. you know? A lot of just people like say chill that. Out. I feel like I was so uptight and intense for like a really long time, you know? And I tell this to young people when I meet them, like it's okay to make a mistake, especially when you're on this path of you want to be a doctor and you want to whatever. Like we're so uptight and we don't want to make a mistake and we don't want to be irresponsible. And then you get older and you can be irresponsible, right? Like you have too many responsibilities. Right. You know, I can't do this or that because it's not okay now. But when you're younger, I think it's okay to make a mistake. It's okay to make a bad decision. And that's just for me who was like so overly uptight and annoying. And just if I didn't do something perfect, if I didn't do something right, if something didn't go in the right order, then I was supposed to go in. I was so hard on myself. And so I think I would have just tell myself like, chill out. Everything is going to be fine. Trust the process. Things are going to work out. Even if it's not happening in the exact way that you want it to happen, it's going to be fine. I think that's definitely the advice that I would have given myself back then, actually. As someone who didn't stop and smell the roses along the way, I was always thinking like four years in the future and so forth. That's some really good advice. You know, I want to know, like, what's a personal habit that you use right now that's helping you to be more successful? Waking up early in the morning. How early? I wake up at 5.30 every morning. Mm, okay. Well, what time you got to be at work, though? Usually like 8. That is early for you. Okay. Yeah, and so, I walk to work, so I live really close to my office, so I literally leave like 15 minutes before. Nice. Okay, so 5.30 in the morning, you're waking up. What are you doing? Like, are you reading? Are you doing meditation? Yeah, reading, doing some devotional. I think it's just getting in the habit of waking up and starting your day, doing something for you, doing something that serves you, because... I feel like once my day gets started with patients, like I just, I'm pouring out all day and then I come home and my family and I'm pouring out all day and then I'm exhausted and I go to sleep. And then I'll realize I haven't done anything that kind of pours into me for the entire day. And so I think getting in the habit of waking up early and doing something that serves myself, praying, having some time with God, just really clearing my thoughts, you know, being thankful Because for me, sometimes I have to like make it an effort to be thankful because you just go, you don't think like, wow, good things are happening. It's a great week. Our bills are paid. We're eating good. Life is good. And so I think sometimes we get so busy that we forget to be thankful. We forget to have those moments of gratitude. So getting into the habit of waking up early in the morning, thinking about things and writing things down that I'm thankful for, writing down things that I want to do better and be better at. It just helps me put those things in motion. So what's up? I like that. It's like a mic drop moment right there. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. What's your favorite dish to cook? And give us the ingredients real quick. My favorite dish to cook. So I love making spaghetti. And that's because I feel like everybody loves it. And I think it's a way to get in a whole bunch of nutrition in one dish. Mm-hmm. And so when I make spaghetti, I use tricolor carrots. So I use like orange carrots, white carrots, and purple carrots. I use spinach. I use mushrooms and I like to mince the mushrooms. So I cut them in little bitty pieces and because that gives it a very meaty flavor. And so it's a way for me to not use meat or if I'm going to make it for my husband, I'll use half the amount of ground turkey 
because the mushrooms give what we call an umami flavor, which is a meaty flavor, a tasty, savory flavor. And so you have the impression that you're eating meat, but you're not. That's one of my dishes I love to make. And I make my own homemade marinara sauce. Everybody loves it. And their lives are changed after my spaghetti. They're like, I can never eat regular spaghetti. Even the sauce. My friends are like, I can never have regular sauce again. I love it. Well, look, name a famous figure or someone that you admire, someone that you find inspirational that you wouldn't mind trading places with or just even following just for 24 hours. Oh, man. I think Oprah. Mm, Okay. She's amazing. And I think what's amazing about her is how successful she has become by just being herself. She's not being anyone else. She is just being her. And she has become so successful by just being herself. And so I love that. Like she's living her truth. She's doing her passion. She's talking about the things that she cares about. And whether it's in television, whether it's in magazines, whether it's in book, whether it's in podcasts, whether it's in movies, like she is doing her. And so I love that. Living in your passion, living in your purpose. That's what it's all about. All right. What's one life hack or like technology that you use that's making your life easier? I mean, I use my phone like crazy. I use the notes in the memos a lot in my phone. I don't know if people use that. So like if I'm thinking about ideas, even if I have an idea for a post, even if I had a really great experience and I want to just remember it fresh in that moment, I'll record it so that I can remember if I want to make a post about it later or type something about it later. I have that all there. I do a lot of my own stuff. People are always like, who's doing your landing pages or who's doing your email stuff? I do all that stuff myself because I like knowing how to do that stuff. So like I do my own, you know, email sequences. I do my own landing pages. It's a lot pages. of work though. Yeah, it is a lot of work. It is a lot of work. And I agree with you though. I think you need to taste that, right? A lot of people want to understand, like they see Dr. Lauren Powell, they see the website, they see the courses, they see that you've been on TV, but they don't understand like how it works behind the systems that work behind. And that's the part that I agree with you that people have to taste first and decide, is this really for me? Or do I need to, like you said, maybe just do it on my own or farm it out to someone else? Yeah. Like even my online cooking school, someone's like, who's developed that? Girl, I did. (laughs) I made all that stuff. Like I built that course. I, you know, had my own Mevo camera. I, you know, had someone push play. I was recording my own videos. I was doing my own audio. So I did a lot of it so that I can know what goes into it. And then when I can, you know, when I have a different budget and I can afford to do things, I know like, okay, this took this amount of my time. I can pay someone because in that amount of time I can do this, this, and this. But you don't know that unless you've done it and had your hands in it and saw how long does it take. And so now I can really say like, no, I'm not doing that anymore. Like I get a lot of graphics made on Fiverr now because it's like, yeah, I can make my own graphics, but the amount of time that it takes me to do it, I can just pay someone like this amount, which is not a lot of money. And that time that I would be using, I can go work at urgent care shift, right? And I can just make the money. I love it. I love it. So look, Dr. Lauren Powell, we're at the end. I want to ask you this question and ask this question to all my guests. I want you to complete it. It's, I'm not just a doc, I'm a... Culinary doctor. Oh, boom. There you go. I love it. Yeah, you took advantage of that one right there. (laughs) So look, Dr. Lauren, this was great. This was great. You know, I just want to acknowledge you for what you're doing. You know, I'm really impressed by your grind, really impressed by your personality. It's infectious. And what you're doing, you know, to help people with their health, particularly in your community, is something that is, for me, admirable. So I just want to say kudos to you. Keep doing what you're doing. I know this is a burgeoning field. So you know, you guys who are early entrants into it, I definitely want to give props too. So keep up the great work. And, you know, now that I see the type of microphone that you have, actually, that lavalier almost, 
we got to do an episode where now you can actually cook and then I can interview you also. I didn't know you had that type of microphone. So if you come oh, yeah, back on, fun. let's do it like that. That'd be fun. 